But a touching story, because it's true, right? I love truth. Many times people try and conjure up some kind of story, whatever, but God can do the miraculous, can he, including having someone born in that way that gives praise to God. Welcome this morning. We have a beautiful, non-ice, non-wind, non-snow event day today. And for pastors, that's a good day, right? But thank you, members and guests, for being here today. We are looking at something that should be of interest to everyone. It has to do with growth. And the message today is birth followed by growth. It has to do with maturity. There are few people that have the same maturity level as Bubba. I speak the truth, don't I? But in his book of what I've learned... Since I've matured, he's got some things for us to look at this morning. Rule number one in that, what I've learned since I've matured, don't be too open-minded, says Bubba. Your brains will fall out. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, one out of a thousand isn't bad. <laughs> I like this one from Bubba's rule. Artificial intelligence ain't no match for natural stupidity. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> this one is uh, pretty good here, Bubba writes. If you look like your passport picture, you probably need the trip. <laughs> Some of our younger married folks may appreciate this a little more, maybe even of our students here, by the time you make ends meet, they move the ends. Have you ever <laughs> And for those of you that are in middle age, what is middle age now? They keep moving it. 60s, the new 40, and 80s, the new 50, and what happened? What's the new middle age? You know, Terry? I don't know either. Anyway, but here, according to Bubba, here's something here, okay? Middle age is when Broadness of mind and narrowness of waist change places. <laughs> and last but not least, for every action, there is an opposite and equal government program. So I don't... Anyway, that's our friend Bubba and his quote-unquote maturity. Some silly things to look at, just to think about what is maturity, what it's all about. And today's message is pretty... Well, it's a fundamental message in the sense that you would think that we would know through the human experience of watching little babies and children grow, birth followed by growth, right? To think of all of us, we started this tiny little thing and here we are now, vertical, self-propelled and under the love of God. How did we get there? Well, in the spiritual life, there's some important dynamics we need to look at today. And we look at them because it's important. So today you're going to find yourself in some odd categories in today's message. Either a mushroom or a hardwood. Either a risk taker, a caretaker, or an undertaker. And so as I said, there's a, 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 an unbelievable mixture of things. A risk taker is... When we're born again, many times we're more prone to take a risk on things. Yes, we risk, we tell our families, our friends about Jesus. 
we have that excitement in us or we grow in that. And both individuals and churches that are risk takers are churches that are living for God. Because every day, to be a follower of Jesus requires courage, it requires obedience, requires risk takers. But what often happens, according to people that study such things, and I concur with this, that if you leave the area of risk taking, you become a caretaker. Caretakers love the past victories, but they live in them. They maintain what has happened as opposed to going forward. And any time an individual or a church look around us, look in our own city. Any time an individual or church just kind of maintains the way it used to be, what we were and what I did in my life when I used to be a witness, our church used to do this. If you live in caretaker, you become dead, undertaker. So those categories lend itself to what we're talking about today, risk taker, caretaker, undertaker. We fit in somewhere in those lines and different nuances of those lines. And the question I ask you today, are you a mushroom or are you a hardwood? As we begin our message today in John 3, 3, our Christian whole life begins with a birth. Jesus, uh, Jesus says in John 3, 3, in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That saying that before a lot of you were born really started to come into light in modern America and our world with Billy Graham and some other evangelists going around the world saying you must be born again or even bumper stickers back in the day when you only had like one on your car. Remember that? You must be born again. Well, what is being born again? Jesus talked about being born again. It's a spiritual birth. It's a birth. Everyone is born naturally once if you're here on the earth, but a spiritual birth is being born from above. It's biblically means that you've come to this place where you understand that God Almighty loves you individually, loves the world, but he loves you individually. You personalize it. You realize that there was a penalty for sin. It's called death, separation from God forever. You realize that there's no way for any person but you personalize it for you to enter into heaven because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's where you come to the cross and say, Jesus, you said the, the wages of sin or the pay, the paycheck for sin is death. Thank you for taking my death on the cross because, dear friend, Jesus Christ came to die our death, to pay the penalty for our sins. We didn't deserve it, but he did. He bled and died. They placed him in a tomb. He rose three days later, and when a person believes, not that a system can save them, not that a pastor can save them or a priest or any other religious or ecclesiastical person, but the personhood, God Almighty, He's the one that loves you, friend, and died in your place. You see, religions give us lots of ways to earn our way back to God. Biblical Christianity tells us how God worked his way to us. And it was through a cross. So today to be born again is to come to that understanding where as best as a person understands they receive Jesus Christ as a Savior, not a system, but the person of Jesus Christ and his complete work on the cross and his resurrection. So you become born again. 
I won't ask you to do it, but if I did in this room, perhaps you're a guest or watching on our simulcast, if I were to ask you to raise your hand if you're born again, don't do it. But if I asked you, there'd be a number of people that would raise their hand. They're born again. What happens after that? Well, growth follows birth. That's what is supposed to happen. And we have some biblical pictures of life-changing growth. We'll go over these very quickly. The Bible shows us how different people have grown. Start to bring those up if you would. Thank you. We have John, the son of thunder. And it says in Mark 3.17, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Perhaps you or someone you know or your child may be a son of thunder. However, you don't have to remain in that place. You can go to another place, and it's this. John becomes something else. If you'll bring that passage up, please. John becomes the disciple whom Jesus loved. And it says in John 19, 26, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. Jesus entrusted Mary to the care of the apostle John. Transition in life. We see transition in the life of someone who used to write a lot of checks with his mouth that he couldn't cash with his actions. His name is Peter, right? Bring him up there. The apostle Peter, the betrayer. In Matthew 26, 33 and 34, Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. The word never there, same never found in John 6, 37. This is all the Father gives to me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Using the same terminology, it's the strongest. I never will. You all may, but I never will. Mm. Wrote that check, Peter. What happened? What does Jesus have to say about that? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me one, two, three times. How's that? Have you ever said something? That wasn't too far after that. I'll never. And pretty soon you're chewing on those things, right? Well, God helped change him. God helped change John. And God helped change another person, the Apostle Paul. Probably no one a bigger persecutor in the time of Jesus other than the totality of the Roman government. But we see the Apostle Paul. We see Peter here. Peter and the other disciples replied, We must obey God rather than men. Peter ends up dying for Jesus. He became a faithful servant. And then on to Paul, who is a persecutor of Christians in Acts 9, 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This guy was pretty fanatical. A persecutor of the church, something happens to him. He goes from a persecutor to something very different. He goes to a proclaimer of Christianity. He's the one through the Holy Spirit that claimed the words in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And so, in a very cursory quick look 
at several individuals, and there are many throughout the Word of God, to see growth, to see change. Aren't you glad on the moment that we're not living the way we need to live for God, that God just doesn't incinerate us right there? I'm through with it. God is patient. And God says to every person that's in the listening of this voice, that he's not through with you either. If you're still here, even if you found yourself in a funk, if you found yourself saying, you know what, I, I don't even want to grow, listen carefully. God does. He wants you to grow. He doesn't want any of us to stay where we are. But you'll either be a risk taker, caretaker, or an undertaker. You'll either find yourself living on the edge for God, being a witness for him, or caretaker living in the past, past victories, which will only cause that glider to glide and glide and glide until it crashes. Now, there's one thing about dynamics of yards. Anyone here like me still mow their lawn? Somebody say, what's a lawn? I'm on a pole, you know. I know. Joe, I saw you go up. Do you mow your own lawn after mowing everyone else's? Probably right. I know you, man. You're like me. You're too cheap to pay someone to do it, right? You're just like me. Us Joe stick together. No, Marie. But sometimes I look there and I say, those were not there yesterday. They sprung up overnight. They're what? Weeds one ant. Mushrooms. Weeds two. Weeds two. I, but mushrooms just spring up overnight, don't they? Yeah, the weeds will come on up. But Mushroom, boom. It's amazing how fast they can grow. And literally, they can grow overnight. Now, hardwoods are another thing. They don't grow overnight. It takes years to develop hardwoods. So many people will go in, and they may be even in a college group, and say, yeah, I, got, I became born again when I was 10. I've got 10 years' experience as a believer. Some in this room, yeah, I became a believer when I was... 15 and I'm 75 now. I've got 60 years. And you've heard me say this before. Do you have 10 years experience or one year experience 10 times? You see, so many people go back and by default go into the caretaker mode and find they don't have that an exciting a Christian life. Nothing's going on with it. Nothing's happening. They've lost that zest. They've lost that drive. God says, I want you to continue to grow. You're born, but a natural response to growth, is, not to birth, is growth, period. So what are we? What are you? You mushroom or spiritual hardwood? Evidence of personal growth. I want to look at some things. It's not exhaustive, but there's some elements right here that you and I can look at to see, is there some evidence that I've allowed God to work in my life, to experience continual spiritual growth. First of all, an increase in love. What does the Word of God say in 1 Thessalonians 3.12? May the Lord make your love, what? Increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Growing in love is a natural response to the grace of God. It's what God expects us to do. In fact, it's so fundamental that Jesus said in John uh, 13, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What does it say? 
if you love one another. There's been every book, every conference, every seminar, every online course you can possibly take about reaching people. Books have been written about seeker-sensitive services. And hear me saying, there are some great things we can do as we try to engage culture in different, well, different societies. But Jesus tells us the overarching principle that's the most seeker-sensitive thing there could possibly be for knowing whether I'm truly one of Jesus's or someone else's. And he tells us right here, by this, all men will know you're my disciples. What? If you love one another. When people are going to visit a place of worship and right in this service right now and listening right now, I already know some of them are listening, and some of them are not there yet. But how they can know there's a difference is how brothers and sisters in Christ love one another. I remember seeing it. I didn't understand it, but I saw it. And even though I didn't understand it, I saw the visible manifestation when I went to a Bible-believing church of born-again people that they really cared for one another. I didn't see that. I'd seen services where people went to the service, looking at their watch, couldn't wait for it to get out, head out the door, and the next crew came in. I didn't see people hanging out, talking, praying for one another, going out to get a bite to eat, and someone just coming to the table and say, where's my bill? That's already been taken care of by so-and-so. I didn't see people that love one another. And when I did see it, I knew there was something real about it. And I remember thinking, I don't believe what these people believe, but if I did, that's how I would be. You see, we can get so past the fundamentals that we can miss it. We can stress the methodology so much and the slickness so much. You get what Jesus said. You, you want to you be a witness? Love one another. In fact, it's one of the evidences we know where we've passed from death to life. The Word of God says in 1 John three fourteen, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. See, love is a very... It's a tangible thing that can be seen. And we know we've passed from Bethlehem life because all of a sudden, you and I could go to a place, if we went to Georgia, New York, any, anywhere around the world, and met people who believe in Jesus, you're a brother and sister in Christ. We love them. They don't have to jump through some hoop. They don't have to wear the same thing. We love them because they're a brother or sister in Christ. And love, of course, is the most significant, the most important element in all the other spiritual gifts. Even back in the day and time when people were desiring these outward manifestations of spiritual gifts, tongues being part of that. The Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 31, And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. A resounding gong trying to conjure up the pagan gods and a clanging cymbal. No rhythm, no nothing. Love is so significant. It's so obvious. It's so fundamental that many times it can be passed over because we can just assume ourselves we have love, but it begs the question, if, if I am growing after my born-again experience, am I loving more? And I'll let God expand that into your life, your relationships, your friendships, your marriages, your families, your friends into this city. 
expand it and look at it. Is God speaking truth into your heart about that element, about being a risk-taker, caretaker, or undertaker? Now, second point today. What What else is evidence of growth in my life? An increase in faith. Okay? 2 Thessalonians 1.3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. How does your faith grow more and more? Well, you have to be stretched for faith to grow more and more. The Bible gives us a definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Dear friends, if you and I can see it, then where's God in that equation? Faith comes into believing God for what we don't see. So whether you're praying for something relationally, financially, familial, vocationally, educationally, we pray and we pray believing for God's will. There's an increase in faith. I used to struggle with that years ago. I don't struggle with that now. I used to find myself saying, well, should I even bother to say something to this person? Because what if they don't like me? What if they... Now you can just say it. We can grow in faith. I used to be satisfied in my material giving just periodically, but now it's regular. Because my mindset, if you keep giving financially, you're going to sink. But you see, God said, I don't care if you don't see it. I'm asking you to do something. I'll take care of you. I'll supply all of your needs. You see, faith takes us to places we wouldn't go. Faith takes and uses our time, our effort, and our resources, and we can increase in that and say, God, thank you. I would not have grown. And see, sometimes the very thing we hate came into our life. Boy, I hate that that happened. I went to the doctor. I knew I shouldn't go to the doctor because every time you go, they find something right or wrong. Wrong. So if you don't go, then you don't have it. That was mostly men laughing, right? <laughs> exactly, pastor, exactly. And so we go and we find out something, and what is it? What is it? You see, God many times takes those valleys of life, and I'm not trying to negate that and say it's not a difficult place to be. It can be. And when you hear the words, many people in this room heard the words I heard. I'm sorry to tell you this, Joe or ma'am or sir. You have cancer. Not great words to hear, is it? Who want, anyone here want to hear that? Probably none of us prayed that today. I know I didn't. But it's, it's, it's what life is. You either go from that and become bitter or better. You either grow in your faith or you let it go. I look in this word and I find many people that grew in their faith. And many times it's the difficult circumstances in life that do that. I'm just grateful that God started me out, as I said last week. On a place where I lost all my resources for my family and whatever. And I had to start. I basically had no other place to go but faith. And I, as I said last week, I wasn't church enough not to do it. I just saw it said in God's words, okay, that's what I need to do. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is growing in areas where we can look at ourselves and say, God, I need to have faith with that. God, I haven't met that right person yet, but I trust you no matter what that I will. Or God, I have. And would you change him or her? But let me say this to you. Do we pray, God, would you change me? 
Would you change me? And all those circumstances help us get to where God wants us to be. The very things we can sometimes hate. So what are we? You see, mushrooms grow overnight, but it takes years to develop. Hardwoods, doesn't it? An increase in knowledge. We're living in perhaps the most biblically illiterate days of modern life. I was watching something probably a week and a half ago. They were doing a little survey on a college campus somewhere. They're asking questions of all different kinds of past history, including the Bible. And some different college students, to pick on these guys, these guys know Samson's in the Bible. But they're asking some of the people on campuses, uh, who is Samson? He was, uh, he was in a movie. He was a mythological character back in that day and time. Samson's the Bible. He's, he's in the Bible. We've lost that. They ask questions about Moses, other things, the Ten Commandments. Where'd that come from? For us, and I'm not just talking about cognitively, because a lot of people can recite facts about the Bible. Never mistake that for spirituality. Jesus was talking to some of the most biblically literate people of his time, and the Pharisees, particularly the lawgivers, the scribes. But knowledge of this word, a recitation and memorization, doesn't presuppose that you follow it or even believe it. See, an increase in knowledge of what? Let's look at it. What does Colossians 1.10 say? And we pray that in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of what? Of God. That's very personal. So I can ask myself, have I grown in the knowledge of God? Have I seen him in the tough times of life? Do I understand more about his nature? Do I understand when I say this? I don't understand what it's like to be betrayed. And God go, yes. Anyone know what it's like to not be followed or listened to? God says, yes. Does God know what pain? God's familiar with pain and suffering. To know God and then to take it off ourselves. And God say, can I just thank you for today for putting up with people? putting up with me. You grow in the knowledge of God to trust him. It goes back to the faith thing, to the love thing, that we go by the fact, not the feeling, but we live in such a feeling word that everyone is so touchy now that it even catches on to some believers. So touchy. Listen, as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as the knowledge of him, the closer we grow in understanding of God's nature, his attributes, his essence, his character, some of the other things we had to hold on to so much just begin to fade. You can let them go. You don't have to vindicate and validate yourself. If you say something about yourself, by the way, it's not a compliment. Right? And so God said, I'll take care of that. Increase your knowledge of me. Where were you when you accepted Christ? And where are you now? Do you love him more? Do you pray more personally to Him? Do you depend on Him? Fourthly, a desire to live a holy life. And I know how this has been misused. So I think many believers with good motives have said, I want to back away from that and not act holier than thank you. And just kind of, kind of look like everybody else. But it's, here's what this is talking about. The word holy is so misunderstood. Holiness has its meaning and root in separation. 
God is holy in that he is separate from, he's separated from sin and unrighteousness. And he says to us, be ye holy because I am holy. Be separate from those things that are sinful, that separate our relationship, that hurt you and hurt the kingdom of God. Be separate from that. So we're not trying to be holy to be better than anybody else. We're sinners. We're bound for hell. We're saved by Christ. We seek after a holy life, that life that is separated to God. So I ask myself, you ask yourself, am I more separated to God than I was when I was born again in last year? Philippians 3.13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead... A person that even secular historians said was one of the top 20 world-changing people of the last 2,000 years. The Apostle Paul said, I'm not there yet, striving to be separated unto God. Wow. Paul knew something about being separated to God, and he lived it. So, what are we? Mushrooms? Are we more like hardwoods, spiritual hardwoods? Are we risk-takers, caretakers, undertakers? You see, so many places in our own city that were once vibrant for God got into some of the wrong mode. You see, it's not because of the building Buildings are filled with the church. The building's not the church. And when the people begin to lose that zest about being a risk taker, about growing in love, growing in faith, growing in knowledge, growing in holiness, and a desire to grow in grace, you've already shifted into the glide mode, just a little bit away from the undertaker because the church or the person is dead. Do I have a desire to grow in grace? 2 Timothy 2.1 You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Don't you like grace? You see, it means undeserved mercy. So I can ask myself, do I have undeserved mercy more now? Is it more a part of my life? Am I more gracious? Do I able to look at things and say, look at the very things I'm saying and ask myself, you accuse that person of that. Why aren't you living that? They're not following God's word. They're, I'd like to do Well, you see, are we growing in grace? If people didn't have my name on it, but they wrote a review, of life, would they say, so-and-so is a gracious person. We ought to be able to grow in grace. Do we get it done perfectly for any one of these? Yes or no? Should we strive for that? Thank you. See, when we're trusting in Christ's power to live the Christian life, not our own power, we leave the area of spiritual mushrooms that quick to rise up and quick to die begin to become spiritual hardwoods. I have in my pocket 
a photograph of a, it's a true photograph. And these are, these are uncommon because it's from 1872 and it's dated. And it's from a Victorian home in Martha's Vineyard, right? And a member of our church family that had a summer cottage there had this photograph. And in the photograph, I don't have it on the screen because it's her family's things and it's personal. But I have it in my hand. And I could tell you in that, as much as I love history, and say, what was it really like? I look at that thing. I've looked in a magnifying glass. It's cool. This is how they decorated. This is what was there. That's what the, a real Victorian wicker chair looks like. Here, It's pretty cool. And there's different things on it that they marked on the back. And probably because they had been passed to different family members. Because you can see on the mantle it has blue vase. It talks something about the plate on the table. And it talks about a chess set. So it's really cool that the very things that they have, they can go back to a photograph and say, wow, look at that. That's the very thing in this photograph at so-and-so great-grandmother's house or grandfather's house. And I had the privilege, as much as I love history, this dear person asked me I'd be interested in purchasing something, and I'm going to show you what it is. It is right in front of me right here. Did y'all see it yet? I've got it covered up right here. It's all right. It's all right. It's that chess set. Made out of hardwood. You see, as I said moments ago, hardwood takes a long time to grow hardwoods. But it has a, well, it has an influence for generations. And there are so many caregivers that don't care about generations because they went from spiritual mushrooms into just that dead state. They just thought, you know, I'll get along, I'll be okay. But you see, this is made out of a harvest. It's, it's walnut. And it's lasted all this time. I've played checkers on this. It's just cool to think about. They were playing checkers on this 150 years plus ago because it's not new in that photo from 1872. But it's documented and it's there. This top lifts up and there's the thickest wooden checkers in there you've ever seen. It's crazy. Back when they made them out of real stuff. It's really cool and would have been really prized in that day and time. But I only show you that to say this. Spiritual hardwoods have a ministry way past, way past their life. They have a ministry that affects generations. And short-sighted believers and churches miss that because they glide into caregiving. And it can look spiritual, and it can look good, it can be okay. And there's no responsibility to keep doing what Christ asks us to do, to increase in love and faith and in knowledge and the very things, grace, that he's caused us to do, asked us to do, commands us to do. So today as pastors come forward, I ask you, is there any place that God has spoken to your heart that you say, I need, God, thank you. Thank you. I don't want to be a mushroom. I don't want to be that person that went on from there and just grew up and it kind of died out. I don't want to keep blaming God or my life or my circumstances for not doing something. I want to live by faith. 
I want to increase in faith. And God, I've been on that roller coaster now, but I want to be able to be on the straight and narrow with it with you, God. How about in love? Has God spoken to your heart? Have you increased in love? Have you increased in grace? That's growing because God wants us to grow. Do you think about generations beyond your life and beyond the life of this church? Because you don't have to drive too far right from here to see a couple of places that were flagships in our state at one time that glided into caregiving and now one is a mosque and one is a school. What do we want? Where are we with that? God is looking for spiritual hardwoods that will have an impact for generations. And it starts with individual call and you're not too young or too old for God to work a work in your life unless you want to be an excuse maker. And God says, why would you be an excuse maker when I have an abundant life for you? So if God has spoken truth to your heart in just a moment, whack, you don't even have to wait for a moment. If you need to just come and pray alone with someone, come now. I'm going to ask you to stand in a minute. You can come now. If you don't have a church home, God wants all of his people to have a place where they can love one another. If that is here, I'd ask you to come forward as a candidate for membership. Our new members class is actually meeting right now. We would love for you to come as a candidate for membership in this church. Today's a great day to do it. And what I shared earlier about being born again, if you're not born again yet, it's not through religion. It's not through some system. It's through Jesus. The reason we can love one another, I can talk about the things I'm talking about, is because of what Christ has already done for us. He's paid our total penalty of sin. We're on our way to heaven. I apologize. If I or other believers don't always look like that, we are. Sometimes we just let our patheticness get the best of us. But that's what we believe. And God helps change us also along the way. We grow. So wherever you are today, This is a place of family and a place of worship. I'm asking you to be transparent before God and say, God, that's me. I'm praying alone with someone else here today or with maybe even a couple of people. God, I want to grow. I don't want to be sitting there not impacting generations after I'm gone. I want to be a spiritual hardwood, still viable and making a difference on this earth. Please stand. Respond to God's word to you today as never before. Lord, I come.